Glad you guys are joining us today. Uh, man, I, I uh, was asking someone this week, because uh, I don't know, you know, you're probably wearing your pajamas or, or at least something comfortable. You got a blanket on you. And so I asked someone before, uh, what if I could at some point uh, not have to dress up? And they said, I don't care what you wear. Just ask comrade operator. So from now on, if the shot is only from like here up, I just may be wearing pajama pants on the rest of the bottom going on here. Uh, glad you guys are joining us this morning. I, I want to let you know at the end of this, we're going to be... Um uh, giving an update on the Acts 2 initiative. We started the Acts 2 initiative the, like the second week of April, and I'm sure you've heard about it. We've talked about it about every week. And so this, at the end of service, we're going to give an update. So if you want to hear about the results for the Acts 2 initiative and what it looks like going forward, please make sure to, to stick around at the very end of service. Uh, today, we are continuing through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible around you, if you've got another device, you want to pull it up, um, you can click on, if you're watching on the the church online platform. If you went to mymcc.info and clicked watch live, you're on the church online platform. Uh, underneath the chat box, you can just click notes and all the verses that we're going to be working through will be there and you can follow along there as well. If you're on Facebook, you'll just have to find another device or trust me that when I put it on the screen, there are things that are in the Bible. Okay. So, um, hey, so <clears throat> Matthew Matthew chapter 10. To get ourselves set up with Matthew chapter 10, we're actually going to go back to Matthew 9, verse 38, which is where we ended last week. We talked about uh, sheep without a shepherd and, and um, uh, the, the compassion of God, that we serve a compassionate God, that God's called us. If we're going to be followers of Jesus to have the same kind of compassion where our heart breaks for people. And so he ends chapter 9 with this right here. Matthew 9, verse 38 says this, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, right? So this is prayer language. We talked about this last week. You remember? This is prayer language. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest Field. Now watch this, okay? Um, if you remember, we're ending here, okay, giving you some structure in the book of Matthew. We're ending here the Sermon on the Mount discourse. There's a, a collection of discourses throughout the book of Matthew, okay? We're ending the Sermon on the Mount discourse, and we're moving into what many have called the missional discourse, okay? And this is kind of our transition here going in the missional discourse. Jesus tells us, if you remember from last week, to pray for workers, to pray for people to go out and to have compassion. Their hearts break for, for those who are abused and rejected and hopeless and, 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 and hurting, to have compassion and to pray for workers to go out to the harvest. And then watch, 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 watch what Jesus does in, in verse 1. Remember, when Matthew wrote this, that verse marking wasn't there, right? It looked a lot more like this. This, this was just one letter. There was just a period that separated verse 38 from verse 1. He says this, pray for workers, plead God, ask God for workers. And then he says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every other disease and sickness. Jesus, God, has this like almost hilarious and inconvenient sometimes normal way that he works. He does things like this. He says, he says, pray, 
Pray that God would move. Pray that God would do. Pray that God would heal. Pray that God would move and, and redeem and restore. And then, then we start to have this, this aching in our heart to pray and compassion wells up in us and our heart begins to look a lot more like the Lord's. And we go to before the Lord and we say, God, you said to do this. You said that you would do this. And then God says, he says, um, okay, now you go. Now you go. This is like the normative way that God works all throughout Scripture. I mean, just think through the Old Testament, right? Like you got like the judges. The people cry out. God hears their cry. And then he sends someone. You think about the prophets, like the prophets, the nature of the prophets is that God is um, speaking through them. That's what it means to be a prophet, that God's speaking through them. God, God, God doesn't need us. God, God doesn't need the judges. God doesn't need the prophets. God doesn't need Abraham or Moses or the people of Israel to be a holy priesthood. But God's normative way of working in this world, you see right here in these two verses, is that God's normative way of working in this world is through his people. It's through his people. You think there's a passage in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, God's talking to Moses. We see this trajectory, trajectory in, in Exodus 3, uh, verse 8. Uh, Oh, actually, go back and show that other slide. I forgot to mention this because the, the, the message just shows it so perfectly. Look at, look at how the message phrased these two verses. So you can just see like just the, like, the, the, the connection. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. Right, that's verse 38. On your knees, pray, pray for harvest hands. And then look at, look at how they wrote it. The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called the 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. No, the prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. This is the way that God chooses to work most often is through his people. So let's go to Exodus 3. Exodus 3, um, Moses, is, Moses is at the burning bush. You probably heard the story, right? Burning bush, Moses there, been wandering out in fields, running from God, running from God's call in his life, having run because he killed an Egyptian, Right? Uh, if we talk about compassion, <laughs> it probably shouldn't lead you to killing people. That's not at all my advocacy. But it does say that in the story that, that Moses um, saw one of his fellow Hebrews being abused, and it welled up in him rage and anger to the point where he killed an Egyptian, and so then he fled. So he fled out, and, and God comes to him, he speaks to him, and, and look at what God does in this. Look at, look at the pattern that God does all the time, okay? Look at this. So I've come down to rescue them. This is God speaking. This isn't Moses. God's saying, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, uh, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. It goes on and says this. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressed them. 
right? So God says in these first two verses, I'm going to do something amazing and miraculous. I'm going to call these people out to this beautiful and good land that they'll be my people. I've heard their cries, right? His heart breaks for his people. He's heard them crying out. And then look at what he says in verse 10 to Moses. So now you go. I'm going to do something amazing and miraculous and redeem and restore and do things that the nations will speak about for generations. Thousands and thousands of years, we're still telling the story of what God did in the Exodus. And God says, I'm going to do all these things. And then he looks at Moses and he says, the way I'm going to do it is you. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the normal way that God chooses to work in the world. As we look around this world and our heart breaks for things, the heart aches. And I would contest that our heart aches for, for some sort of restoration and reconciliation um, that, that, that we believe that God is going to do in the end. That God's going to bring, that, that there's something inside of us that knows that the way that the world is isn't the way it's supposed to be. And our heart breaks for it. And we go before God and we say, God, you need to do something. And maybe even we quote scripture and we quote promises of God and say, God, you promised that you would do this. You promised that you would, you would do this in, in these people. And that if, if we prayed and if we cried out and if our heart broke, that you would do these things. And then God goes, God goes, yeah, 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 uh, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to do something that generations will speak about for generations to come. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. God's normal way of working, normative, most common way of working in this world, is through his people. Is through his people. It's not just in the Old Testament. If you go to 1 John, 1 John is, uh, we're going to put all of, uh, not 1 John, of John 1. The, um, go back one, there should be one where it's all white text. Um, John 1, oh yeah, because it's labeled wrong. That's why you clicked on the wrong one. It's not after actually Matthew 6, if you guys can read that. That should say John 1, okay? This is actually right here, okay? This is all of John 1. So we're going to take a moment and I'm going to let you guys read it off the screen here, right? I hope you guys have an HD TV right? Super HD. I'm kidding. I can barely read it, and I'm eight inches away from the screen. But this is all of, chapter, of John chapter 1, okay? And he, here's a point I want you to see. If you know the story, if you know John 1, you've probably heard parts of it. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was seen that has been made. In him was life. That, was, that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Who, who are we talking about? We're, we're talking about Jesus, right? We're talking about Jesus here, okay? So, so we're talking about Jesus. And then it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And if you're at all an English person, if you're like an English teacher or teach anybody the basics of English, you've got to be going, wait a, wait a second. What? what? And then it goes on. But it says this. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So now we're talking about John. Okay, we introduced Jesus. Now we're talking about John. And then verse 9 it says this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming in the world. Who are we talking about now? 
We're talking about Jesus, right? So first we talk about Jesus, then we talk about John, then we talk about Jesus. It goes on in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among and, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So we're talking about Jesus. Then verse 15, John testified. So now we're talking about John, right? And then it goes down here and it's talking about John again. And then it's talking about Jesus, and then John introduces Jesus, and then we're talking about Jesus again. In fact, I color-coded it for you. you got a sneak peek. Let me show it for you. Uh, flip to that next one. Look at this. Every single thing here in purple is about Jesus. And the green stuff, this kind of neon green, that, like, nasty puke Seahawk green, isn't that the stuff nasty? Like, who would pick that color for the Seahawks? You should be in bear. Anyways, um, I'm kidding, Okay. Don't send me hate mail. If you want to send me hate mail, my email is Aaron at mymcc.cc. He'd love to hear from you about sport ball. Um, he'll, he'll have a great conversation with you. Um, <laughs> uh, the green is about John, and then this section here is white, and this is a transition where John is introducing Jesus. Now, if you are an English teacher <coughs> and, uh, and your student sends you uh, uh, a biography paper that they want to write, and they say, I'm going to write a story about Jesus, right? Okay. Okay, cool. So I'm going to write a story about Jesus, but I'm going to introduce Jesus by introducing John first, okay? And then they give you this. What are you going to do, right? You're going to take and you're going to circle every single thing that's green, all these three sections. You're going to draw a line at the top and you're going to say, introduce John first and then use this transitional statement. You're going to bump it up here so that John can introduce Jesus so that there's a stream of thought, not this chaos of Jesus, John, Jesus, John, Jesus, John, Jesus, John, Jesus, John introduced Jesus, Jesus, Right? But this is here on purpose. I believe that this is here on purpose because God's trying to show us something even in the way he structures John 1. Even when God himself comes for the redemption and restoration of people, even when Jesus, Jesus comes to bring hope and life, to give himself as the perfect sacrifice for all people for all time. Even in the most dramatic moments of history, God intertwines his people with his mission. John's life is intimately intertwined with the mission of Jesus. This, this is the way God works. Now, he doesn't have to, doesn't have to. In fact, there's a story in Daniel 9, it's one of my favorite stories. There's a story in Daniel 9, um, about a king, and uh, um, he has uh, looted the temple, and they've taken all the stuff from the temple, and they've got it in the storage, and he's having this big party, and it gets crazy, and, you know, we can talk, right? They had too much to drink, and it gets out of hand, and he just says, I want all the best stuff. Bring all the stuff we looted from the temple, and so they bring all this stuff, and he takes uh, holy things, things were, that were set apart in the temple, and he wants to begin to drink from him, and, and in that moment, God doesn't need to send someone, God doesn't, like, need to find someone that he can send to go say, uh, Belteshazzar, that, that's a bad idea. You've defamed the things that were holy, that were set apart for God. You shouldn't be doing that. You're trying to supersede your position and authority and say that you are more superior than the God of the Israelites. You shouldn't be doing that. No, you know what God does in, in Daniel 5? You can look this up. This is in, in, in the Revised John Version. It says this, um, a hand appears. Just a hand appears and etches in the wall. I'm going to kill you. Love God. XO. XO. Then maybe like one of those little, you know, the new Facebook emojis where they do the hug. 
right? Little hug emoji, right? God doesn't need us. I mean, you look at Genesis. It says he spoke and it was. First John tells us that all things were created in him and through him. That God doesn't need us, but God invites us to be a part of what he's doing. A great pastor named Henry Blackaby uh, has this quote, and he says this, we don't choose what we'll do for God, but instead he invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. That God's goodness and his grace and his mercy is that he wants to invite you to be a part of what he's doing in this world. He doesn't need you, right? Like, let's just be honest. Just, just, if you don't think that you're too busted, just ask your spouse or your best friend or your parents. They'll, they'll have plenty of opportunities to tell you all the things that aren't right about you, right? They don't, God doesn't need you. But God chooses to invite us. All throughout scripture, God's heart breaks. He sees the people like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for them. His heart breaks. He says to his people, pray, pray that God would send people that would heal and bring graciousness and kindness to his people that would bring restoration, would bring hope, would bring um, the kingdom of God into their life. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, okay, now, now you go be that. You see, God's gift to us, God's invitation to us today is the same as it was to the disciples. Last week, we talked about the things that break your heart, the things that break God's heart and then asked you about what breaks your heart because that's God moving in you. And I hope this week that you kind of rumiated on some things that, that, that make your, your gut ache, that, that make you angry, that make you weep about the brokenness of this world. And I hope that this week that you were praying that prayer that Jesus tells us to at the end of Matthew 9, pray for workers, pray that God would send someone out to care for those people. And then this week, we come to John 10, and we see the example that we see all throughout Scripture, and I think we see the same message that Jesus would say to us today is, okay, okay, you go. You go. Look again at Matthew 10. Matthew 10, starting in verse 1. Let's read, well, let's read all these five verses. It says this, Jesus called his disciples to him, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Verse 2 says this, these are the names of the 12 apostles. <laughs> First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphelius, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, these 12 Jesus sent out. <laughs> Isn't God kind? Isn't he so gracious? When you look at that list, we could go through, we don't have time, but you could go through that list and you could come up with explanations for about every single one of those guys in Scripture alone about why they shouldn't have been disciples, why Jesus shouldn't have been, they shouldn't have been the first 12 that Jesus entrusted and said, you go. Right? It shouldn't have been. 
I mean, the, the list ends with Judas. Do we all know how that story ends? Right? But God gave him the power. The story begins, the list begins with Peter. Do you know how that story ends? Well, maybe not the way the story ends, but you know how, the story, how Peter felt the story ended? Jesus being convicted, being executed on a cross, and him denying his Savior, and then fleeing to go hide and fish, re retreating, forgetting and abandoning all that Jesus has said and done for the last three years. Th this is a list of absolutely unimpressive people. But God invites them to be a part of what he wants to do. He sees sheep without a shepherd. His heart breaks. He asks us to pray that our hearts might break too. And then when they do, he says, now, now you go. Now you go. And there could be a lot of reasons, a lot of excuses, and there's probably a lot of lies to why you believe that you are not qualified or able or gifted or, or equipped to do what God wants to do in this world to bring restoration and reconciliation. But it is because of his grace and his mercy. I mean, Paul talks about it, right? That in our weakness, he's made strong. That because of the incompetency of these 12 guys, God's glory is seen all the more beautifully. Because it is the man who denied himself in front of insignificant people who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to thousands. Because God's power moving through him. God's power moving through him. It was through Jonah, who didn't even want to go. And even after he did, he complained and moaned that God saved an entire city. God wants to use you to bring reconciliation. To bring the kingdom of God to the world that you're a part of. There's a... a a great missionary, pioneer, changed the way missions occurs um, for the last several hundred years. His name was Hudson Taylor, and he had this quote. He says, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough. I think we could say men and women. I think that'd be appropriate. God uses men and women who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. John Maxwell, a pastor, um, says this also. He says, God uses people who fail. <laughs> Look at his optimism. Because there aren't any other kind around. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. What a, what a gift. What a gift that you're sitting in your living room, maybe alone or maybe with some family members. Because you see, a lot of times I stand in this room and I say, God wants to use you. God wants to use us. God wants to use every single one of you. And I point around the room and I look around the room. And it's so easy in that moment for you to believe the lie that God wants to use everybody else. But, but look, look, look at me, look at me. God wants to use you. He wants to move through you to bring the kingdom of God, to see lives transform and redemption, to see grace and mercy just pour through you into a broken and aching world. He wants to use you to run out and grab the one sheep and to pick them up and throw them on the shoulder and drag them back to the good shepherd. God wants to use you to bring hope and life 
to the broken and the hurting and the aching of this world. It's always been his plan. It's always been his plan. Quickly, before we end, I just want to show you three things that we see in that passage that I want you to know about that happens in this moment. Is The first one is this, is that... Um, the people God uses, he, he called them. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28, and the message just says this. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. Jesus, it says, called the disciples to himself. That when God wants to use you, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to call you to draw near to him. It may be through pain, it may be through circumstances, it may be through other people, it may be through great rejoicing, but God's going to call you to himself. It says in um, uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. That's purpose, doing something. Not because of anything we've done, remember? There's only busted people. But because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time because of his own purpose and grace is that God's calling you to draw near to him even in this season, even in time that we can easily bend to fear and to question, even in this time where we can feel ill-equipped or incompetent or unprepared or without resources to do anything, God's calling you to draw near to him. That the type of people that God uses, that, it, that he empowers them. That's exactly what he did with the disciples. He empowered them. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But to each one, that those that God has called to himself, that he has given um, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has equipped you. You may not believe it. You may not see it, but God has equipped you for exactly for the ministry he's calling you to. It may be in your greatest season of pain and misery that God has equipped you for the greatest ministry that you're going to have. So Ephesians 2.10, it says this. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He made us, we are his handiwork, for good works. To bring reconciliation, restoration, the kingdom of God into this broken and hurting world. God has equipped you. The last thing is that he sends you. He calls you, he equips you, and he sent you. He sent the disciples out. He's sending us out. Matthew 28, a verse, a passage that guides us as a church to what we are to be all about. It says this, that he's called us, he's equipped us. And then at the very end, this is the last two verses of the book of Matthew. He says this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go therefore. Go. God is sending you. He's not calling you to create holy huddles to cloister together. He's sending you. God uses some completely incompetent and incredibly busted people to do the most amazing things. And God is calling you today. He's equipped you and he is sending you out into this broken and hurting world to be a minister of the gospel. To be a holy priest. We talked about that a week or two ago. To be a holy priest. To be a conduit of God's grace and mercy. He's equipped you for the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians tells us. 
He's equipped you and he's sending you out into a world that desperately needs compassion and mercy and grace and reconciliation. He's sending you. Now, here, let me just, let me end with this. I am so sick and tired of hearing people tell me about the ways that they're not capable. I'm so tired of hearing people say, well, you know, I just, I just, I just don't know how to connect with people anymore. I'm just not real good with technology. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, you know I, I just don't really feel like I have enough experience. I'm not old enough. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. I don't have a voice. I'm not good in front of people. I'm so tired of hearing complain, uh, uh, excuses. We sound like Moses standing out in the wilderness, standing before a bush. Well, God, God you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not a very good speaker. God, God, you know what happened in my past? I mean, I just, I can't really, do, you know what happened in my past? I mean, I wouldn't be the best option. But God's plan all along is to use broken and busted people to bring reconciliation and restoration through his grace into his creation that his kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. What God wants to say to you today is the same thing he said to Moses. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to do something that the generations are going to speak about for, for centuries to come. So now you go. So you know, now you go. Paul tells us in the book of Acts that God has appointed the places and times that men might dwell. God chose you to be alive today in this place crafted you, handiwork, you were his handiwork. He crafted you to be alive in this moment, in this day, with your experiences, with your opportunity, with your wisdom, with your ideas, with your resources. He equipped you in this moment to be here today for good works, for reconciliation, to be ministers of the gospel, to be a royal priesthood that might proclaim his excellency, that his strength might be known in our weakness that a broken and dying world might know the good news of the mercy of our God.